Hi there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money, the podcast with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. We've known each other for years, Ron. We often get together and talk about things. One of the big boogeymen for anybody who's an investor is that three-letter word, T-A-X. And that's what we want to talk about on this installment is finding ways to minimize your tax exposure. Not doing anything that's, you know, hinky or anything. There are there are tools out there to allow you to do that, correct? There's lots of ways that you can spend time and apply techniques to be able to reduce your overall tax exposure. And that's really what we want to talk about today is legitimate ways to reduce the amount of tax that you pay. It's especially poignant at this time of year because most of us are sweating as we go through all of our receipts and income and we look at how much tax to the CRA. And frankly, usually, I find that people that are doing their taxes is the grumpiest part of the year for them. It's time I just, every year I get, I get, I don't get depressed. I just get angry at all the work that I have to do to get ready for it. Yeah. And, and nobody wants to pay more tax than they legitimately have to. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And there's four numbers you really need to focus on. 48%, 31.7%, 24%, zero. And if you're in the top marginal tax rate or bracket in Canada, that's the tax you're going to pay 48% on interest, 31.7 on dividends, capital gains of 24, and obviously your principal residence is zero. But because interest is the highest tax you're going to pay, dividends is a lot less, and capital gains is half, it's important that you spend some time looking at your portfolio and figuring where you can put these different investments to lower that tax profile. So now are we talking about about strictly about investment vehicles here, um, stocks and bonds and, and, and ETFs and things, or are we talking about your overall financial portfolio here, including your principal residence as an example? Well, your principal residence, for most people, that isn't going to change and how you structure that isn't going to make a, a whole lot of difference. But Interest, dividends, and capital gains, yes. So RSPs, tax-free savings accounts, those are tax-sheltered investment vehicles. So a perfect place to put investments that are in the highest tax bracket is in the RSP, the TFSA. Also, look at your family unit. If you can buy interest-bearing investments and put them in a spouse's name that is earning a lot less income, well, then you're going to have less tax exposure. Tax is the biggest expense you're going to pay in your life. So typically, when individuals come into my office, the first thing that we do before we do any investment reshuffling of moving things around is we'd look at their tax exposure. And often I'd find that the capital gains investments were in sheltered accounts. The interest investments were in the uh, person's account that was paying the highest tax. So sit down and restructure your investments and put the investments you're paying the highest tax on, either shelter them or put them in a place where, or among 
family members where you pay lower tax. And if you're in a high tax bracket, then you want to have a higher concentration of dividends and capital gains in, in your account. This is not rocket science. This just takes some sitting down and looking at your portfolio and reshuffling investments. And if you have to sell them and rebuy them, uh, so be it. But if you get them in the right place, so that going forward, year after year after year after year, you have the lowest tax profile you possibly can, that is the the gist of what we're trying to get across here. And so for everybody that's like a layperson that, that has investments and is busy, we've talked about how people's lives are busy. Maybe you don't pay enough attention to your investments. You really should be paying attention to how much tax you're paying. I mean, none of us like to pay tax. Uh, so you, you try to minimize that. Is Would it be money well spent if, if you don't have the breadth of knowledge to do this, to talk to an accountant or, I guess, to your investment advisor, but particularly an accountant because they work in this area all the time. And every year the rules seem to change somewhat. So is that money well spent to get advice on this? If you do your own taxes, I would say that every three to five years or when you've had a substantial change in the tax act like we've had under the uh, liberal government the last few years a lot of the tax loopholes have disappeared and obviously there's always new things or opportunities that you can take advantage of so during times like that it's a good idea to spend a little bit of money and go see the accountant if you're going to see your accountant every year because you use one on a regular basis to file your tax returns ask outside of tax season, and this is usually what I do during the summer when it's quiet for them, is say, look, I'd like to pay for a half an hour or an hour of your time, pull up my things and my financial uh, statements. I'll tell you what financial activities I'm doing. And we'll take a look at the big picture. And I want ideas from you that will help me lower my tax rate. And generally, your accountant is a good place to start. If you have a financial planner, uh, they can also help you. And often, if you have your money managed at an investment firm, they will have in-house people that are estate planners, financial planners, tax people that you can sit down and also they'll give you some very, very good tips on how to lower your tax profile. You know, the key thing is to take advantage of that. Okay, so let's start with, I guess, maybe the most basic one for, for all Canadians is maximize your RRSP contributions if you can. Absolutely. The trick here is that you're allowed to put up to 26500 in an RSP if you've got the room that's 18% of your net taxable income. And if you find that you're in a year where you've got a lot of extra income, maybe you got a bonus or you sold some property or you got an inheritance, it's a good time to go back and look at not only your RSP but your tax-free savings account, which for the limit is $6,000 for 2019, but you can go back to 2009 and carry forward $63,500. So if you find you're getting a big lump sum of money, the RSP and a TFSA are just a great place to start because you can carry forward unused contributions and both those accounts could absorb a lot of that cash. And on the TFSA front, you know, with the 63500 uh, here again, 
that will absorb a lot of money. And if that money is invested at 5% over 30 years, it's going to turn into three quarters of a million dollars. You know, just with 5% compounding, non-taxable for 30 years, for most people, that will set them up on retirement easy street for the rest of their lives. You know, I think back on, for instance, with the RSP contribution, when did they come into being? Was it 1974, 1975? All I know is I was working in Lethbridge at the time. And when the when the, the law came out, I remember going to a good friend of ours, the late Bob Lang, who was pretty good with money. And I said to him, "Is this? does this not make sense? I can put money away for my future. I get a tax saving. What, what part of this doesn't make sense? I'm thinking back to those years. I was nowhere near my RSP contribution maximum. Is there any way to look back on that and, and get that number? You can either get that um, from your accountant or typically when you get your assessment every spring from the CRA, it will tell you how much contribution room you have left. And just as another tax tip, most people don't like filing tax returns for their kids. So, but if your kid is 15, 16, and I know when I was at that age, I was shoveling walks, I was babysitting. Had a paper route. Had a paper route and all that. I probably earned two or $3,000 a year. I should have uh, had a tax return filed because even though I didn't contribute to an RSP, that money would go as become registered as taxable income. And I wouldn't pay any tax, but I could carry that forward so when I'm 25 and 30 and actually making a real income, the money that I earned then would have increased my RSP contrib uh, con contribution limit, and I could have used it, carried it forward, and used it during those years when I was in a higher bracket. Aha. Uh -huh. So do a, little, do a little study on that. Find out where you stand. Now, do we put your high-tax investments where you'll pay the least tax? Yes, and that's what that restructuring that I talked about was all about, is for RSPs, that is a good place to put investments where you're earning interest. It's also a good place to put things like high dividend paying foreign stocks. A good example would be an AT&T or a Royal Dutch Shell. They pay dividends between 5 and 6%, but since they're foreign, that income is taxed at the same level as interest income. So if you stick the stocks, the foreign stocks that pay high dividends in an RSP, frankly, you're reducing your tax profile. And with U.S. stocks, generally you've got a withholding tax and you've got a rigmarole, you've got to claim it against your Canadian tax, and there's a big rigmarole to be able to claim it back. Well, in an RSP, most U.S. stocks, there's no withholding tax. So that 15% tax, you don't even have to bother claiming back. So high dividend paying U.S. stocks are just a great place for those is within the RSP. And most firms now allow you to not only have an account in the RSP in Canadian dollars, but also allow you to have an account denominated in U.S. dollars under that shelter, so you're not having to switch back and forth and incur a lot of currency expense. So now here's an interesting one. You, you gave me some bullet points to look over for this. Lend money to a lower taxed spouse. Uh, could you explain that one? Well, we're talking about income splitting here. And really what you're doing, if you're in a high tax bracket and you find that you have a lump sum of money that is not being put to use, uh, 
lend it to your spouse. You can't give them the money, let them earn interest, because it'll be taxed back in your hands. Those are called the attribution rules. But if you lend money to a spouse, the, the government at the CRA website has what's called the prescribed interest rate. And currently, that rate is at 2%. So if you lend money to a spouse and they give you 2% interest on it every year, you can keep that loan outstanding forever, as long as you're alive. Uh, there's some documentation you have to fill out. If you go online, you'll see uh, prescribed loan and just pull it off. You sign it, your spouse signs it. The important thing is you put in the amount you're lending and the prescribed interest rate at the time, which you can use forever. And so let's say you've, you're in the 48% tax bracket, but you've got a spouse in the 20% tax bracket. So you lend them money, they invest it, and let's say they get a dividend of 4 or 5%. Well, that's being taxed at their much lower rate. They have to pay you 2%, which obviously is taxed as interest, and you're going to have to pay tax on that. But that high, the spread between what they're paying you and what they're earning is taxed in their hands. And so that can be a very efficient way to income split with your spouse. Okay, that's one that I hadn't heard, heard of before. What about tax loss selling? Uh, I, I think a lot of us know what that is. You, you hear about you know portfolios and window dressing and tax loss selling at certain times of the year. How does that benefit the individual person? Well, a lot of times you know, you'll find that in your portfolio, you will have unexpected gains. You've owned a stock for a number of years. It's done really well for you. Or maybe you've had uh, a property that you had to sell, and you're looking at a gain that you did not expect to get. The company that you owned, well, maybe another company bought it out. So you have an unexpected capital gain. Well, you can look through your portfolio, and if you have some losses, you can sell them and claim them against your gain. Now, generally, the tax loss rules work that if you sell a stock, you've got to uh, refrain from buying it back for 30 days. But you can juggle your way around that. So let's say you own an oil stock, and just about everybody has an oil stock right now that's underwater from its highs. You could sell that stock. So if you're underwater with Imperial Oil, for example, well, you could buy Suncor, a very equivalent company. So you could get around the... 30-day uh, rule by buying an equivalent company in the sector. So we call it weeding the garden. It gets rid of some of the stuff that you have in your portfolio that, frankly, otherwise you wouldn't have the motivation to sell. Because we all think, yeah, if I hang on to it for another 18 It'll years, come back. It'll come back <laughs> if I hold on to it for another 18 years. So it allows you to weed the garden, keep your good stocks, and use your, your losers to apply against your gains and help overall to lower your tax profile. Now, we talked about income splitting with, with, the, with, with the loan provision, but can you spousal RSPs, RESP, split pension, have the lower income spouse save and the higher income spouse pay the bills? Is that how that works? Oh, well, there's a, couple of things, there's a couple of things here which we can unpack. First of all, if, and obviously you've got to have a good relationship. I mean, if each of you is getting your um, investment portfolio information sent to different post office boxes because you're scared to see the other spouse, uh, you're scared that the other spouse is going to see your stuff, well, probably this isn't going to work. But, you know, for, for a lot of people that have been married for a long time and their assets are, are, are 
you know, commingled. Commingled. Yeah. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. It's not a bad idea if you're in a higher tax bracket. <clears throat> the higher income spouse pays the bills. The lower earning spouse takes their money and invests it because they're at a lower bracket. They're going to be taxed on investments at a lower rate. Very tax efficient to do that. Also, and I just turned 65, so I've had a lot of experience doing this, is that you can split your Canada pension plan. So you can take your CPP and you can opt to have it split with your lower income earning spouse. And that's what I did this year. Also, if you have a registered uh, retirement savings plan, you can split the income off that so that you're both when you're taking income out, you're both getting uh, an income split, which allows the lower earning spouse again to end up receiving income at a lower bracket. Now, they've really changed the income. They call it income sprinkling. If you had a corporation, you could have people that never really even worked and pay them dividends and do a whole bunch of things that, frankly, they've shut those down. But you still legitimately, if you have your own business and you can hire your own kids, you can pay them a reasonable salary. I think you might have some problems if you're paying them $10,000 an hour for consulting fees and they're yeah. 14. Yeah. But if you paid them a reasonable salary, they could take that money and start investing it, start making um, RSP uh, contributions with it. And after 18, they can make TFSA contributions. They could start saving for a house. And since they're in a low bracket, especially if they're going to school, it's another good way to split income. One thing that was pointed out to me a, a couple of years ago was in my wife's case, uh, who is, is also retired, is take a little bit of money out of your RSP, call it $20,000. The government withholds 30%, which is $6,000. But, you know, because you're not working, you're not making any income, when you file your taxes, you're going to get the bulk of that money back. You know, and you can also use timing to your advantage. If you're planning to take out a big amount of money and there's a high withholding tax, instead of taking it out at the beginning of the year and letting the government earn a rate of return on your money for the next 12 months, take that money out middle of December, just before year end. And if you don't have a very complex return, often you can file your taxes by middle of February, end of February, and have your tax return back, check in the mail or put in your account before the end of April. So the government is only sitting on your money for two to three months instead of 12 months. So that's one thing to look at. All right. Well, I think we've covered all of these areas that we wanted to touch on. As always here on the uh, Making Money podcast, we try to address questions that come from our listeners. And we have one today that I think we want to delve into, too. It's from Al. Two questions. Should the U.S. be the only one held in an RRSP? Only U.S. stocks. I'm reading Internet articles, and the answer appears to be yes. I'd say you've got to look at the stock that you plan to invest in. If the bulk of your returns are coming from dividends, so as we talked about earlier in the show. AT&T. Yeah, AT&T, for example, which is going to give you a nominal amount of growth, but the bulk of the return is that 
6% dividend it pays, that's an ideal candidate for an RSP because the income is non-taxable in there. But if you've got a stock that is the bulk of the return is capital gains, and a couple examples would be Google. It doesn't pay a dividend. It could be Amazon. doesn't pay a dividend. It could be Berkshire Hathaway. also doesn't pay a dividend. But the stocks just keep growing. <laughs> the stocks have done very, very well over time. And so you not only reduce your tax from 48% on interest to 24% with a dividend, but also you get compounding in there. So if you bought Berkshire Hathaway 20 years ago and held on to it, you'd never have paid any tax in the last 20 years. If you decide to sell it this year, well, the jig's up. You're going to have to pay tax. But by taking stocks and buying them in a non-registered account and then holding on to them for an extended period of time, you're compounding your money. You're letting $0.01 cent dollars work for you instead of giving half of it to the CRA and turning your portfolio all the time. So especially for stocks that pay very little or a small dividend that you, you expect to hold for a long time, and you can pay that lower capital gains rate, and you can compound that $0.01 cents on the dollar year after year after year after year, those are the kinds of stocks that you want to have outside the RSP. And the second question from Al was, why use a U.S. ETF that hedges? Hedging is like insurance. It comes with a cost, and it's a drag on returns. Would your reason be that the cost is negligible to what it does for the ETF? If you take a look at the Canadian dollar against the U.S. dollar, in my career, the Canadian dollar has been as low as 61 and as high as the dollar 10. That's enormous. It's 49 cents. Yeah, yeah. that's enormous. And so you want, to make, you want to make really sure that you're not at a point in your life especially where you've had all these foreign investments, especially maybe some ETFs that invest in the U.S. or invest internationally, and the Canadian dollar is on a tear. So the Canadian dollar is running from 70 cents to par. Well, it means that the foreign investments are going to go down in value. And so one way to protect yourself against the rising Canadian dollar is just buying a fund that hedges. They buy futures contracts, which act like an insurance policy. If the Canadian dollar goes up, the hedge will go up just about as much as the Canadian dollar. So protecting you against adverse moves with currency. And so especially if you're getting near retirement and you're going to have to start living off of some of your foreign assets, Having those assets hedged makes a lot of sense. Al, I hope that clears up the confusion for you. And if you're a listener to the Making Money podcast and you have a question, Ron, how do they send us a question? It's very simple. You can email me at makingmoney@cfcw.com, and that question gets routed right to my back door, and we'd be more than happy to answer them on the air. More interesting notes coming up on future podcasts. We're going to talk about how to save for your kids' education and lots of other different things. We hope you'll stick with us. Thanks for listening. Ron Hebert is a retired portfolio manager. He is the financial coach. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional.
The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.